cracking lovely people. Big Feed Up HQ podcast. We're back. Trying to do these more regularly. So we had a good one last week at the end of last week and I'm, and I'm back in the mix. So trying to bring more content out to everyone. And again, this is training focused. I got uh, good feedback with, with Evie in terms of female PT in London and training. So I've carried on with the, with the training focused podcast and I've got, um, yeah, I suppose a, a friend and, a, and an old work colleague, Scott Pearson here. And he's a strength coach and working predominantly with cyclists, which is good because obviously a lot of people that listen to me and, and listen to this are getting more into cycling. And then especially even someone like my dad who is, is retiring and can't necessarily run and wants to keep fit and fizz, then, you know, the off feet stuff is is really important. So, yeah, I'll hand over to Scott and mate, just obviously the audience in London and, and a few other people southeast probably don't or you know might not have heard of what you're doing because obviously it's a bit more up north so yeah. let let everyone know mate hi matt yeah so um thanks for inviting me on mate we really appreciate it and it's, uh, it's good to catch up again it's been a little while um yeah so my, uh, i'm scott Pierce. I'm, a, I'm a strength coach um i work with matt at worcester warriors with with, with um i've had about 12 years sort of working in professional rugby and mainly at sail sharks uh, up here in, in the northwest and a little bit of time in Doncaster and about three, three and a half years down at Worcester Warriors, which was uh, eventful to say the least. Uh, after that, I did a little bit of, bit of time in football. I worked at Stoke City for a little bit and then uh, most recently uh, started working at British Cycling. So, um, the, uh, the base of the velodrome up in, in Manchester. Uh, and yeah, just, just a completely kind of new sport to me, um, different culture completely to, to working with team sport athletes, different mindset, and uh, yeah, really, really love the challenge, kind of, sort of grown to love the sport, um, uh, worked through the Olympics uh, with, with multiple squads, but I was responsible mainly for the Paralympic squad, um, and with that, obviously, it was, it was very, very successful, you know, multiple, I think we had, there were 12 um, gold medals and uh, multiple world records and stuff which is, which is nice to be able to be part of that yeah. um, but since since Christmas just gone I've, I've left British Cycling I've started my own strength and conditioning business uh, called Fast Fit Strong and I'm based up in the northwest in a, in a town in Cheshire called Lynn which is between Manchester and Warrington uh, a bit of a cycling kind of hub around the way here uh, I'm looking at continuing working with cyclists privately Mm. So that that's my kind of SSC history in a bit of a bit of a nutshell. Um, so yeah. decent, mate. So is that so you finding now that obviously you've worked in elite sport and and now you set your thing up that like we talked about there, there's there's more of an appetite for you know the average individual to get to get into cycling and then more people are finding the sport and obviously more people now want to progress and that that's kind of you've seen a bit of a window for a facility and for you yeah. know a kind of coaching uh, that you do. Yeah, I mean, it's cycling from a participation point of view is like it's, it's hugely on the up. Um, it's in many respects it's the new golf, so it's quite popular amongst like executives, business types. Um, they were kind of my ideal sort of clientele. You know, a lot of deals the same do they now are done on the wheels rather than on the golf course. You know, mm. um, and it's it's a sport I guess similar to how. You know, golf was before the likes of Tiger Woods came around. It, the culture within cycling, especially you know road, it, we we typically imagine as uh, you know typical cycling, uh, road based, uh, endurance based 
excitement. There's, there's no strength training culture within the sport. Mm. Um, the, the culture, you, know, you, you get better at cycling by cycling, just doing more and more cycling. Uh, so, you know, as we both know, that's that, that just compounds problems and, and you know, make you know small problems into larger and larger ones. So that's that's part of my kind of remit, if you like. That's the, one of the mission statements of my business is to kind of change the culture within. Within cycling predominantly, uh, but more endurance-based sports, you know, running and triathlon mm. generally, is to, to kind of embrace um, what strength training is, mm. um, change from the mindset, dispel a lot of the myths that have kind of perpetuated around you know sports like that, and even football to an extent. You know, the, the, these kind of misnomers that strength training makes you heavy and it makes you slow and it makes you stiff. Um, Things that just aren't true, yeah. Especially if they're done the right way. So, um, yeah, that's what we're going for. You know, try to sort of gather evidence or, or gather more evidence that that's the case. You know, so. Mm. so I suppose if you, because if cyclists and people are listening, and obviously you've got experience in that side of things, and people will will be training or cycling a certain amount of miles a, a week or whatever. But you know, you yeah. take you take someone who's a bit more focused on it, like a listener at the moment, and then they hear the yeah. word strength. And they and they want to get stronger for their sport, um, yeah. you know. Where what's what's the kind of one hundred and one for for kind of you know breaking that down slightly and and things to look at. Obviously, when people see you, you need to do movement assessments. You need to work with the individual. Yeah. But in your in your opinion, you know, if someone just wants to take away some information on strength training today, what what like how, you know how would you begin to to teach someone about that, and then how can they go away and 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 do it for themselves? Um, well, I mean, generally, or about cycling particularly, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, let's go for cycling, because... So, obviously, it's a narrow range of movement, generally. It obviously, as the name suggests, it's cyclical. <laughs> um, uh, and you tend to be in a hunched-over position, leaning forward a lot. So, you, you know, without really assessing someone, you know that they have... Um, they're likely to have tight hip flexors, weak glutes um, and weak unstable shoulders so you know exercises that, that kind of address those areas the core tends to be weak as well so those kind of areas are where you want to start um, because of the pedaling action the, the, the action of the pedal stroke is around about 80% driven by, the, by knee extension so by the quads so the vast majority of cyclists are very very you know, large quadriceps and very, very small, weak hamstrings and glutes. Mm. So a lot of the, a lot of the work I do is, is kind of is not necessarily boosting the performance of cycling. It's just making them feel um, able to move around a bit freer and a bit off the bike and not being constant pain either through the back or through the knees. Mm. So we, we just you know stretching the hip flexors, strengthening the glutes and hamstrings. Mm. Improving the posture through the upper back and, and, and tightening up the core. Yeah. Um, and because most cyclists tend to get into cycling and sight changing now, but traditionally a lot of cyclists get into cycling through the parents at you know 11, 12, 13 years of age. They haven't had the same sort of experience running around, changing direction, playing playing outside. So they don't have that kind of global. Um, physical literacy or athletic ability that, that you probably take for granted in, in other athletes of other sports so 
you know, keep it simple, do basic things, and mm. don't be uh, don't be scared to actually lift some weight. <laughs> no, <laughs> Assuming, no. You know, the movement that you do is safe. Yeah, totally agree. Because, uh, like you said, it's one of those things where. When it, if it's if it's a regular person, you know, and and it, to be fair, even if it is an athlete listening to this or whoever finds yeah. this, you know, they they need to they need to still be able to be robust in life when they're not on the bike, aren't they? So you know, they yeah. if they they don't want to be walking around in pain, and then people that are either yeah. cycling and sitting for a living, like you you know, I, I similar, I work with a ton of corporate individuals that then yeah. fizz themselves in Ironmans or or runs or things like that and they're sitting all day and then the yeah. ones that are cycling they're then sitting again so they're flexed yeah. all the time and then they're in pain but then when they're on the bike all the you know all the kind of uh, the, the good things that are released with exercise the pain goes away and then they get off the bike and yeah. the pain's there again so mate that's that's really simple and to be fair that's probably yeah. the best thing for it isn't it like train train and to get stronger so you know you might you might not necessarily see a huge jump in your cycling performance but you're going to feel good off the bike and in life as well. Yeah, and then but it does it does manifest itself onto the bike eventually. Obviously, otherwise yeah. I wouldn't be in business. You know, ultimately that's what it's all about. But yeah, of course. You know, once once you've kind of got that, um, you know, the, the other angle is well, if you're injured less, you can be on the bike more. Mm. So um, it, it kind of goes hand in hand from that point of view. But once you're then able to to lift safely and generate more force, um, that can transfer through to the pedal. So, mm. yeah, you, know, you probably notice it initially, kind of on hills where you're at higher torque, you're gonna push that a bit harder, or in sprints. But just generally over over a period of time, you'll feel more coordinated, more fluid. Yeah. Um, and then, like with running, you know, the kind of argument for strength training with, with runners and triathletes is it, it makes you more economical per stride. Mm. So if you can add, you know, a centimetre per stride over over an hour, two hour run. You've, you've taken, you know, 100, 200, 300 less strides mm. to run the same distance. So it eventually becomes less demanding on your body. Mm. So that's, that's yes. Sort of thing. If, you can, if you can push a higher gear, you, you turn your legs over less. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so if we dive into, like, you know, you said uh, cyclists, weak glutes, and then people, I think people are starting to be aware of, that imbalance but then you know yeah. they're not aware of how to get how to get strong glutes so maybe we go into that because obviously hip hips and core uh great areas but then i don't i don't think people necessarily know how to train you know train train their glutes or get or get stronger in that area so maybe we dive into that a little bit uh yeah so the the, the, the first thing to do is just to make sure that you have what's called a neutral spine or neutral hips so typically if you if you uh, are in a, in a seated or bent over flex position like cyclists or people who sit down at desks are for the majority of the time, uh, like we said earlier on, you, you get tight hip flexors, weak hamstrings and glutes. So as you stand up, that makes your pelvis want to tilt forwards. Uh, so we call that an anterior pelvic tilt, mm. which if you just stand up and try and do that without actually doing any movement, that hurts your back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it overactivates the, the erectors, you know, in your in your lower back. Uh, so just being able to get in a position where you can you're aware of that and you can create a neutral spine by by pulling your hips backwards, so tucking your tailbone down towards the floor and bringing the front of your pelvis up towards your belly button. Mm. So it's so, in, so an analogy would be if people can't quite understand that, you know, and the typical anterior pelvic tilt position would maybe be someone if you know they're like wearing heels 
or something yes, like yeah, that. 100%, yeah. So yeah. for listeners that don't understand that, you know, if you imagine you're wearing a pair of heels and you're sticking and, you know, you're kind of you, you, you feel your lower back is on. And then yeah. obviously if you if you just squeezed, squeeze your bum and then, like you said, you tucked your tailbone under so people can do that standing and you feel the difference of going from anterior to posterior like and it's, it's yeah it's interesting trying to get someone to even move their hips like that um yes. i've seen runners you know good runners try and do that and especially if they're running uphill all the time you know they're they're, yeah. they're in that anterior position aren't they and then when they try they're and come the other way yeah. they're they're absolutely buggered yeah i completely agree yeah so once you're able to do that just simple exercises like uh, like a glute bridge so lying lying on your back bring your heels towards your bum like you're about to do a sit-up and then yeah, enforce that kind of tilt or, or posterior pelvic tilt so you're bringing your tailbone down uh, and then just drive through your heels to lift your hips in the air mm. until there's a straight line between your knee and your shoulders uh, it's a really simple glute bridge and you can, you can get up there and hold it for time or you can go up and down and do repetitions um, mm. I mean what's your take on if we went from that to say say you know uni, unilateral work to bilateral work and all that kind of stuff if, if people are yeah. doing a uh, you know, to normal glute bridge to then doing single leg glute bridge. Like, where's the for a regular person trying to get a bit stronger? Where where's the place for going into single leg work for someone like a cyclist for that kind of exercise, for example? Um, it depends on your training philosophy. So the, the way I um, the way I program is I'll have larger what we call compound multi joint exercises, or what I call my main lifts. So. Yeah. Exercises like squatting, um, deadlifting, uh, exercises like that would be the, the core, uh, the main focus of my training programs. And then other exercises will kind of either facilitate those or be kind of isolated exercises around particular areas of the body mm. to um, either to sort of prevent against injury or to strengthen up particular weak areas of an individual. Um, so the way I... Um, the way I program that is I've never used a glute bridge that we described before as part of an activation type circuit as a, as a warm-up. Mm. Uh, and assuming that they're of a relative competency to be able to do some of those other main lifts. Uh, and then, you know, you can you can bring in the, 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 the single leg, the unilateral versions, again, as part of, part of that, just progressions on from that. So once you're able to do 10 good quality glute bridges without losing position, you can start to bring in single leg versions but it's, it's a judgment call really and and you know a single leg version is a lot harder than a double leg version mm, mm. yeah and it's just important to say because you know you see people trying to crack some of these fancy single leg things on on unstable surfaces or you yeah. you know you see people like you said trying to add reps and things and i think the good the reason why i wanted to get you on is because you're you're measured as a coach and obviously you, yeah. you, you work people hard, but then like you said, you have a, a system to your training and it isn't hard for people to yeah. do that. Activate yeah. to start with, move your spine and then obviously get into these compound lifts and depending on your experience, you know, you can move in and out of different amounts of reps and different amounts of weight. It's, it is simple. You yeah. know, it's a good approach. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, um, you know, like if you'd known me 10, 15 years ago, I why do now is, is, is poles apart from what I did then, you know, so I was, I was sucking into the, 
well, you've seen people on YouTube doing all these like cruel and unusual exercises. <laughs> you think, oh, I've got a bit to do that, and I'll get it into some program somewhere, and it looks absolutely brilliant. But the older I've got, the more experience I've got, the simpler and simpler my programs have become. And really now I just concentrate on two or three exercises and support that with other exercises like I described earlier on. You know, spending time getting better at, at one thing, although it doesn't kind of look as sexy, is where you'll get the biggest gains. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and that's ultimately what clients and athletes want. Yeah, definitely. So your, so your typical client, say, for example, if in your space that does cycle... Who you yeah. know the, the the ones that really want to progress and and they're putting time into strength training with you. I know again it's person dependent, but how how often would would they see you for sessions during a week to kind of give people a a bit of an idea about okay I want to add some strength training in if I am a really keen cyclist, you know yeah. what what would you say would make an impact in terms of um, you know not duration but just uh, you know committing to these kind of sessions weekly or monthly. Yeah, or... So when I when I start out with somebody if, if they've never trained off the bike at all before we start off with um, quite low volume low intensity but really high frequency so it might be up to four times a week but there might be 30 to 20 to 30 minute sessions so it's all about grooming the, the patterns of movement so they they you know are um, robust through that so they don't have like knee waggling around or the back curving under um, so once they're at a certain level of, kind of ability uh, then I drop it down to say two to three sessions a week depending on their uh, weekly schedule yeah. at that point you're starting to lift a little bit of load even if it's their own, just their own body weight or just slightly more um, and you know that won't affect their if they want to continue riding in the same way that's not going to you know a session like that's not going to knock them out for two or three days yeah um, now as they get more and more experience lifting weights and the loads become that bit heavier um, it takes a bit more out of them hmm so, depending on the time of year, you know, if you're in the winter, where they're on the bike a lot less, then we can still afford to do two, maybe three sessions a week. If this is the summer and they just want to be out on the bike or if they're competing, then you've naturally got your psychographic equalizer. You, you've got to, you know, if one thing ramps up, you've got to pull something else back. Mm. And in the season, that's usually the strength training. So, um, you know, if one session as a maintenance, two sessions as a sort of development kind of block um, is normally where we go mm. yeah and that makes sense and I because I've, I've quite a few people that do these endurance activities and stuff come to me and then obviously the ones that are switched on they come to me at certain times of the year so you can then periodize things similar to you but yeah. you know sometimes yeah. I get people coming to me now that want to drop you know drop body weight ready for whatever they want to call race season in June and they just yeah. you know as you know from from that standpoint I'm, I'm manipulating the amount of energy going in but then they're you know their time on their feet or their time on their bike is is, is going up so for yeah, yeah anyone yeah. listening for that it's so important that if you do want to make a change in terms of your strength or your body composition and you're thinking right summer is when i'm really racing or i'm outdoors you know that that november september november december time is is crucial to see people like yeah. you and i isn't it because then yeah, we can we yeah. can move things around and then you know almost i'm not saying now's too late but to get stronger for this summer or to change your body composition for this summer, it's just that's where things might might give a little bit, isn't it? And then and then yeah, you know something yeah. something negative might happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, ultimately, right, it's down to the goals of the individual.
individual. You know, cycling's a sport that you know, if if a client comes to me, they, they want to get out on the bike just because they enjoy going out on the bike, and that's what they enjoy doing. Yeah. Uh, they aren't particularly competitive, and then you're not going to really tone it down. It's going to be just like limiting injury and, and trying to improve um, the resilience of them as, as people. Then you're probably bringing it down to once a week. But if, if they're kind of a bit more competitive, even if it's only with their kind of office colleagues or mates, then it, you know the argument is you could do an extra S and C session for forty-five to sixty minutes in place of a three or four-hour ride, and you'll probably still you'll get increased benefits. So you're saving two, three hours plus per week. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of that. From it, you know? I'm a huge fan of that because I've tried to, especially in the last year or a year and a half of trying to run longer distances but then obviously being yeah. and working in London like uh, yeah. I, I try to run longer distances out of London but then it doesn't always happen so then I add in you know especially between Tuesday and Thursday when I'm in these in these corporate sites working they have gyms so I try and do yeah. some S&C then and I feel like it I think it's better for me because I'm um, you know, I'm not a natural runner and then less time on my feet and, and when I'm stronger I feel better and I, I seem to be able to do you know do as well as some of the other people that put more time on their feet and less S and C? So yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth exploring. Yeah, I agree. Mm. But that's that's the kind of number of my business, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And then what have you got? So you know, to give people a little bit of an idea of a of a setup like yourself, because that you know these these kind of places are going to be the places to go for people. Um, in you know, in the future, that want semi-private private training, because more more people are wanting to do that kind of thing. Like, what what kind of kit have you got, and what do you use? And it's just you know, especially when we talk about some of these things, people can people can start to look this stuff up, or you know, people that might be using some of this kit already to to get stronger. What what's your setup? Um, ninety percent of the stuff I do is just dumbbells. Mm. So I'm walking through to the gym area and talking to. Um, so I'm probably working with people for uh, around three, three and a half months until they sort of pick up a bar. Um, so we spend a long time just body weight, just like I said, I'm grooving the movement, and then we'll move on to what we call like softer resistances, so um, dumbbells and things like that. So we'll we move on from like what we call like an air squat or a body weight squat, so no external load whatsoever to an exercise called the goblet squat, which is which is holding one dumbbell kind of like vertical, so top to bottom, in front of your chest. Um, and then, then doing, you know, lifting your hips up and down, squatting with, with that in front of you before we even think about progressing to a bar. So that's, that's really good for kind of ironing out many, many of the problems because the weight's in front of you, um, there's less of a demand on your your glutes and stuff so you can afford to sort of sit back without the fear of falling backwards and things like that so um yeah dumbbells are the mainstay some, some bands for some of the, the core work so one of my favorite exercises is called a power press um I don't know if your sort of listeners are aware of what that is which is a good kind of anti-rotation exercise uh, and then we'll progress onto bars and, and things like that yeah no it makes sense no, that's really good. I definitely need to come up and see your setup, and you can take me through a few exercises as well. That'd be really good. That'd be great, Because yeah, because we used to train a bit together, and I was, uh, I was, I'm definitely a lot lighter now. So hopefully, I feel, I feel like I can move better, and then I, I'm a little I'm, bit stronger. Right, I'm a lot heavier. <laughs> <laughs> it was different then, though. It was different. I just used to pile in that porridge and Nutella from uh, from Tracy, and then and then. Yeah. Uh, 
we we would just be pushing sleds. I think that we do. We used to do. Was it tire flips? And then you used to put a battle rope round in a in a, in a big circle, and we had to pull the tire out of it. Um, yeah, man, I remember yeah, those fighting against each other. With the yeah. boys, yeah, that was big. And the opposite was telegraph poles that were pushing each other out. Yeah, oh yeah, the telegraph poles. Yeah, that was yeah. good fun. That's big. So then, <laughs> so with with so with your own training, like what 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 do you tend to enjoy? Because obviously, with your day job of 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 coaching people, being very specific, I found as well now that I'm, you know, my day day job was about the intricacies of of someone's diet. So then I obviously come home and the stuff that I put online is just very relaxed and you know i make kind of recipes up on the go quantities and things aren't always precise because obviously my yeah. day job is so precise so how do you find yeah. work, working in snc when you train yourself does it is it do you do you just enjoy it or are you very kind of like specific as well or how does that always work i like to ask other coaches that uh, I, I like a lot of other sccs i would imagine i've i you know i've written myself the perfect plan about 100 times and i've got about a fortnight into it and then just sacked it off <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you know you, you have sort of half an hour between clients coming in and you, you'll uh do a little bit there so i like um for myself i quite like each minute on the minute training emom stuff mm. um so i I, t- I typically uh give myself two exercises uh, so for the sake of argument, let's say you've got a, uh, a bench press and a, and a pull-up or something like that, and I'll alternate between the two each minute. I'll do 10 reps on each each minute for 20 minutes. So, um, you know, you're getting, you're getting 100 reps of each in, in 20 minutes, and that's a good good old session. Yeah, I remember your, yeah. your pull-ups were just, yeah, was just silly, and then especially with the weighted pull-ups as well, that's such yeah. a good exercise. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, stuff like that. Little little digital. I might have something in mind for a particular client. I'll I'll try it out. See how it feels. Um, mm. Very fortunate to just got four what bikes in the gym now, so I'm kind of getting on them and, and doing them and testing different workouts on them or different intervals. Yeah. Based on different, you know, different um, like MAS or um, inside what we call like max minute power or functional threshold power. You can you, know, you can work on those. So. Um, as a you know, as a percentage of your given max, so it's a great way of prescribing exercise and and, and seeing progression. So you can just try them out. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So would you? So obviously, when people come in with with a yeah. tool like a watt bike, or if people are cracking those because they are now in commercial gyms and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Where where yeah. would you turn that in terms of your inter you know your programming? Because you've got this the. I don't want to say you've got the strength side of things, but if we if we use the format of the the activation, and then obviously you take the client through, depend depending on where they're at, the soft resistance, and then the kind of barbell stuff. So like you said there, what where, what's a tool for a, for a watt bike in terms of your S and C, and how how would the regular person kind of utilise right. that? Because it's a great well, bit of kit. Well, yeah. So my 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 cycling based business is around off the bike. So I, I wouldn't concern myself with that at all. It's, it's about getting strong off the bike. The kind of other, the, the more PT end of this type of stuff, which is in general, um, when I get stronger, when I get fitter, when I get leaner, when I lose a bit of body fat, then um, the, the advantage of having the what bikes there are that we can use use those um, bikes in the way that I just described and, and prescribe and, and see progression and improvement. Um, from a cycling point of view, the, you know those bikes aren't mine. They belong to a cycling coaching company called James Roberts Coaching, who I collaborate with. So they they run a coaching uh, a cycling team, 
so they cycle competitively and uh, uh, they, cool. they train on the bike and then I help off the bike. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, even just even just to clarify that for people that are listening, yeah. that's just useful because then they can start to categorise how they train because you know that's again simple analogy on and off that yeah. people don't people might think like yeah, a what bike yeah. session you know where it goes so that's no that's that's really useful good man no so it's a um i suppose yeah well you know we could we, I, I, I don't know i don't think i'll take the i don't think i'll take the conversation over in terms of of nutrition because obviously it's such a good it's such a good opportunity to talk to you about strength training and, and coaching because you're so experienced with it so i think maybe we'll, we'll just stay with that so especially with okay. your with your background on British cycling or some of the Paralympic, um, you know, some of the Paralympic experience that you had as well, so it would be good just to maybe dive deeper into that for a few minutes. And yeah, it's yeah, my pleasure. there's a lot, I suppose there's a lot I could ask, but then I don't know, maybe you're from, from a coaching standpoint, maybe just, just break down a little bit of what, what your role was in, in that and then how you worked at, at the elite level around that and then people can kind of get a bit of an understanding about how you know how important it is in terms of what you do and compared to um no nah, not compared to i suppose as part of like a support team because people always yeah. just see the athletes but they don't see the the analysts the snc the psych the nutrition like it's huge isn't it in that setup not completely so the way it worked was I was employed by the English Institute of Sport and um, but for all intents and purposes I was I was you know, working for British Cycling I was there working at the Velodrome um, you know full time uh, and my role was split 50-50 between working with the Paralympic squad so I was the lead SSC coach for the Paralympic squad before uh, the games and I assisted a guy called Martin Evans uh, on the, on the able-bodied um, sprint and BMX squad, um, which so that that essentially meant that I worked with I was responsible for everyone below the podium level, mm. uh, so kind of like under twenty-three and below. Um, and part of that was the under 18s like an entire national network of riders um, from up in Scotland to uh, Northern Ireland, Isle of Man, in Wales, down in Newport. Uh, all the way down to London, through like the entire country, um, and they they put part of the pathway like most sort of sports do, and came up. And then when they got selected uh, to be a full time athlete and got kind of centralised around Manchester, then I was responsible for them until they either got released or got taken as part of the podium group. Um, so that's how that was kind of structured, mm. and then within that there are different kind of role so I was, I was a strength coach uh, we had specific physiologists um, who are the kind of uh, net conditioning coaches if, if you like mm. uh, so yeah I was a net strength and conditioning coach but I had no conditioning responsibilities whatsoever it was purely strength training uh, we'd also have nutritionists psychologists uh, performance lifestyle advisors mm. um, performance analysts uh, who were biomechanics generally as well as the actual coaches mechanics etc 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 so yeah. it's, a, it's a big old setup physios as well how can I forget the physios yeah uh, masses um, sports therapists rehab specialists etc etc so mate at that level, yeah, that for, your, level yeah. for your for your for your strength work 
Um, you know, what like to give people a bit of an understanding about that, because obviously these guys are top end athletes and stuff. What yeah. what what were you measuring to to see if they were getting stronger? You know, give because people don't really know. You know, if you're like, oh, I want to get stronger, great. You know, it's important to to actually measure something and and see yeah. change over time. So what 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 were you measuring? I understand we can't obviously go into all the programming, but then it, I assume you went on the same line as you do now with your current clients. But yeah. you know, so what what kind of what kind of strength strength measurements or tests were you doing with the, with those guys? Well, we did, we did a variety of different ones. We had on bike and off bike tests. So they obviously had the, the predominantly track cyclists. So you had you know a standing lap or a half lap or flying 200 or whatever it might be so they sort of standard on track tests um, and then in the gym we you know bluntly we just have how much weight on the bar the, the squats are main sort of staple exercise um, how much weight was on the bar but we had other measures um, we worked with a company called Force Dex I don't know if you've heard of them but they produce uh, force platforms Force Dex Force Dex yeah uh, really really good uh, force platforms and very, very intuitive software that goes with it. Um, so you could get a squad of, of, of riders come through, do you know whatever type of jump, uh, a squat jump, so a, a concentric only, pause at the bottom and jump as high as you can. Um, and that the software would pick out the type of jump, and the, the time of takeoff, the time of landing, and it'll give you all the kind of metrics um, straight away. So you can get you know your peak power, peak force average power, average force, impulse over the duration of the jump, uh, landing forces, how much is from the left leg, how much is in the right leg, mm. etc. Et so there's about 30 different measurements you could look at um, on that. And then we looked at, we, we used velocity-based training quite a lot. So we, I think about push bands. Um, we used a machine called the Gym Aware. Um, so if you imagine a, a, a black box with a string coming out of it, the box would, and you just tie the string around the bar, the, the box would measure how much string gets pulled out when you stand up and how quickly it gets pulled out. So you can derive measurements of, of if, you, if you know the weight of the bar, you can derive measurements of, of again, peak and average power, um, displacement, um, uh, the actual velocity of it, so meters per second. Mm. Uh, and again, you can prescribe training based off that, and you can look at metrics. So, you know, if, if uh, as an example, if let's say week one the athlete's squatting 100 kilos for five, and in week eight they're still only squatting 100 kilos for five, but if they can do it quicker, mm. um, you've made a, a change, you've made, you know, they've got improvement in some kind of way. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's lots and lots and lots of different things you can measure. Well, that's yeah. it, isn't it? Because I think the the average person thinks are oh, more weight better, but then, like you said, it's it's yeah. where are you moving it. Are you are you going quicker on the upward phase, or if we're asking you to load that, you know, that that eccentric yeah. phase, can you actually take the tension? And I find, especially for my now that I'm doing more downhill running, because I'd have to do a lot of you know with yeah. some of these runs, like say one this summer in Italy, there's going to be quite you know there's going to be quite a lot of time of me running downhill i feel like now that i'm when i'm lifting um barbell or dumbbell i'm, I'm working on that downward phase to kind of keep a bit yeah. of tension on because obviously i'll be loading over yeah. the knee or eccentrically like breaking myself as in on the way yeah. down from the hill and again runners that work with me nutritionally and things like that they kind of i always tend to bring that up because i don't i don't nosy into too much training but i think people again always think are oh, uphill 
um, is is important and it is massively but then it's that ability yeah. to take tension as well isn't it completely agree yeah yeah nice that's all good I mean decent alright well yeah it's solid solid conversation good to catch up and I think I've taken I've cleaved enough knowledge bombs because I understand especially from a coach's perspective you know you want to you, a lot of these things are you know, you, you give out to, to clients and people that come to the facility. But it's a mate, it's a great introduction and then hopefully if people are up you know, up north or if anyone's hearing about this or, you know, they want extra information or coaching, where where how can people find you? Um, you know, what, what what's uh, what are all your information? Um well, so what my company's called Fast Fit Strong. So um, the website's fastfitstrong.com. Twitter is at fastfitstrong. I've got a Facebook page, it's also at FastFitStrong. The only one that's any different is Instagram, which is uh, cycling.strength.coach. Sorry, pick your pardon, cycle.strength.coach. Um, and yeah, I hope you've been any of those. Cool. Yeah, I'll put all that in the show notes and then uh, I'll link to the force decks. That was pretty interesting for people as well. And then, yeah, just yeah, um, yeah. decent, mate. No, good, great to have Bye-bye. you on. And um yeah, depending on if, you know, I always get tons of questions after these kind of podcasts and stuff and it would be good to maybe dive into an area or if I if I come up your way, we can maybe do something something live, we could train and then record another little segment or something after I'm outside. Uh, okay, that'd be really good, yeah. Cool, mate. All right, cheers for that, dude.